Okay, so I've given you a little bit of time to think about it. What are some of those, or what is a promise that God has given you? I don't think you've got a whole bunch of them. I don't think, I think there's a lot of promises that are, you know, they're, they're general promises. There's promises like, um, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, that's, that's a general one. That, that goes to everyone. That's everyone that's a believer. But, but what about those that are just for you? Just like Abraham received one that was just for him. You see, can you tell me of that promise, that promise that you said, God has promised me this. Not that you've got it already. You just have the promise so far. And here's the thing, folks. I don't think that a lot of people recognize that when you're looking for a promise from God, you're praying for something that God wants to give you. You hear what I said there? You're not praying for something that God goes, oh, I never thought about that. I didn't think that you'd want that. You're actually praying for something that God wants to give you. And I think a lot of people are going to say, then why should I pray at all? I mean, if God wants to give it to me, then I don't need to pray for it, do I? I mean, God wants to do it in the first place. I don't think a lot of people understand what prayer is all about. When Jesus was teaching on prayer... And he was talking about how the pagans, they use lots of words. They think that through a lot of words, what they're going to do is they're going to get God to give them what they really want. Their their God, that is. And and Jesus says, I don't want you to be like them. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. How many times have you been told prayer is telling God what you need? I think that's what we've told people. And I want, to, I want to kind of work that out of you. When you look at Micah 6, 8, and he says, he, and he's told you, old man, what is good, like Micah 6, 8. He says, and what does God require of you? But that you do justice and you love kindness and you walk humbly with your God. Do you understand those three things? What God really wants from you is that you walk humbly with him. And when we are walking humbly with God, we're actually praying for the things that God already knows that we need. And God is wanting to give us. And what we're doing, we're walking in step with God with our prayer. We're praying for something that he wants to give us, not something that he doesn't want to give us. For prayer is walking with God so that we join him in what he wants to do. That's what prayer really is. Now, that means that during my praying time, I may have my prayers changed. For God may say, no, I'm not going to give you that. But I got something even better for you. And it always is something better for you. God has planted deep inside of you a purpose a purpose that he has, he wants to give you that purpose. He wants to give it to you and it's the promise that goes with that purpose. Just like it was for Abraham. Abraham had a purpose and in that purpose he was creating a, a people that would bring about, would bring about the, the, Jesus himself. To bring about a people that would bring about Jesus himself. And what he did was he gave Abraham a promise. And there was years before he ever got what he had been promised. So I would say to you is that you want that purpose in your lives. And you know that God has something great for you. Something great. And you've always known it down deep. 
but maybe you didn't know what it is. And so why don't you know? Well, I'll tell you a couple of reasons why you may not know. First one I have to go to, and I know that most of you in this room this does not apply to, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. See, God's promises are for those he knows. There are no promises for the people who are, he doesn't know. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, this is that promise that he gave to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go to your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see what's going on there? He's giving them messianic promise even within that. So he got a promise for this. He's going to have a child in that. You got to, you're going to be a nation. You've got to have to start with some, some kids. You know what I'm saying? And then he's got a promise that goes even beyond that. That the people that are going to be your offspring, they're going to be the people who are going to bring about a blessing for all the families. Not just the Jewish families, but all of the families. So the promises of God begin with a relationship with him. And God is the one who establishes that relationship. He comes to you and he says, come to me. And we must respond to his calling. And he calls us, he's always going to call us to do this one thing. He's going to call us to walk humbly with him. Always calling us to walk humbly with him. And if we do not have a relationship, we will not have any promises from him. There may be one promise and you don't want it and that's his wrath. And the reason I say that is because God had his only begotten son that died for you. And if you do not take him into your heart, then that will be an affront to God. You understand that. How would you be if you gave your son and they rejected him? So there is a wrath that comes around. There's no promise that is good for you. For God acts as a divine father. He's the God that... He knows you more than or better than anybody ever could know you. He knows your, your, your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows what you are going to be really, really good at. He knows what you're going to be really, really bad at. And he has a plan for you and a promise for you that you can walk in this purpose in such a way that, that he, can, he, he would want it for you. Now, we want things for our children. And I mean, understand, I, want, I don't want... I didn't want my daughters to become, you know, doctors and lawyers and teachers and all of that kind of stuff. What I wanted for my daughters was that they would have integrity and they would have honor and they would, they'd be trustworthy and, and things like that. I wanted that. I, that's about as specific as I could get. But God takes into account all of who you are. All of who you are. And he comes along and he gives you a promise, a promise of that purpose in your life. So that you will walk in that humbly with him. And incredible things happen when you do that. Incredible things. Now we have to accept that by faith. And let me say something to you. I think a lot of people got faith messed up. A lot of people think faith is I want something so bad that I'm going to believe it so much that God has to give it to me. They think that's what faith is. Faith is not that at all. Faith is God gives you his word and you walk in that word because you have 
a basis because of his word. God's promise comes from his word. So faith comes from receiving God's word for you. You read that scripture, and I've done this many, many times. I'm reading the scripture along there, and I said, that's for me. It's not because, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not because of my goodness. It's not because I just want to claim it. It wasn't all that. But I just knew that was, one, that, was that word for me. And how did I know that? Because God's word must be on your heart. If you do not have God's word on your heart, there's all kinds of things you could dream up for yourself. And they're, they're not going to be for you. They're for somebody else. But when you have God's word on your heart, see what happens. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Remember those words right there. You're going to walk humbly with God? That's how you're going to walk with God. And he says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. God's word must be on your heart. Because this is a part of an ongoing walk with God. This is not one of those things you said, well, I did that one time. I walked down the aisle in church and, and I did that one time. That's not the way that goes. God's word is something that continues to, to work on us. And we continue to read God's word. We continue to walk in God's word. We continue to, to you know, just love on God through his word. For the word of God is the language of God. Hear that from me. It is, it is the language of God. And when the word of God is written on your heart, you will understand the language of God. Now, you can't really have a great relationship with somebody that if you don't speak the same language. You can smile and you can point and you can do a lot of things like that. But you're really not going to have a great relationship. You're going to mean they could even give you a promise and you wouldn't even know it was a promise in the first place. That's really the truth is what happens there. And so you need to be able to have the word of God on your heart. When you have the word of God on your heart, you're not out here thumbing through here and saying, I just need a promise about this and, and then trying to proof text it and trying to make it yours. What happens to you is, is that you have the word of God on your, on your heart and you realize through that, that word of God in the, as you're walking with God, you, can, you just have a peace about that, that word of God. That they say, this is, this is for me. This is what, what I'm, how I'm applying this scripture into my life. You see, when, when people go out and they start claiming a promise, and I've seen them happen so many times, they'll look for something, claim it, and then they'll say, God, you've got to do it because I found it in the Bible. That's not a promise at all. That's just trying to make God do something. They're always trying to manipulate. See, they do not understand the language of God for the heart or the spirit is where the language is interpreted. That's what needs to happen in our lives. And that comes from walking with God, not from, from being away from Him. So you have this, this relationship that continues to grow. So you make a decision. Let's say today, you're saying, I want the promises of God. I want what He has for me. I'm not going to just look through the Word of God and just kind of try to pick some out and proof test them. I text them. I'm going to really try to see and hear what God says. And you hear silence. You ever heard silence from God? I bet you have. I bet you have. I got seven reasons. I'll give it to you real quick here. Of why God is silent sometimes. They're not all seven of them at the same time. And I revise these every couple of years. So it's not the same ones I gave you three or four years ago. When I'm talking about that. Why is God silent when I seek him? Number one. God is silent when our worship is meaningless. If we have meaningless worship, 
God will be silent. Isaiah 1.15 says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And what it's saying here is there's an ongoing sin that you will not relinquish. And you don't think that sin is a big deal. You don't think it's a big enough deal because only you and God know about it. And that, you know, you just say, it's just not that big a deal. And that sin will have a root in one of these three things. It will come from the lust of the flesh, which is your physical pleasures. And that isn't always sexual, by the way, folks. That can come from alcohol. That can come from drugs. That can come from something like that. So don't, don't think it's always a sexual uh, sin when you're talking about the lust of the flesh. Secondly, it can be that there is the, the lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is you've got to have possessions. Possessions and money, they become, actually, they're actually a little bit more important than God is. And so you, you just, and nobody knows that what you're giving or what you're doing with your money. That's the thing about it is, but it's something that you've got and you're, you're, you're holding on to it or you're not giving it where it needs to go or what you're, whatever you're doing with it. Or the third one is, it's uh, the, the um, pride of life. And the pride of life is one of those things that deals with both pride and power. That is that you've really got to be told thank you for everything that you do. And you've got to get your name in, the, in lights. And, and you've got to have the, the power over other people. And the proof that you think it is small is because you will not confess and repent of it. You see, you'll think it is a small thing. I was in a church where the worship leader was caught in an affair years ago he was caught in an affair and it doesn't matter what the sin is by the way folks I am required to forgive that person do you understand that? I don't care what it is I'm still supposed to uh, forgive that person so I took him out to lunch I took him out to lunch the, the church had dismissed him and I took him out to lunch and I sat, sat with him And he said these words to me. He said, I didn't really think they would fire me over this. That's what they said. He said to me. And what I, you know, I thought, you know what you thought? You thought this thing was no big deal because nobody else knew about it. Nobody else knew about it. And you just, you just went on with it. You, 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 you were trying to lead worship. And it was not only a meaningless worship for you. But it was meaningless worship for everybody else. Because that was your responsibility in this. And you know, the deal is on this. I can tell you that his prayers were unanswered. And I can tell you why they were unanswered. Because he had a sin in his life. And he was continuing to let it go on. And he didn't confess. He didn't repent. He got caught. And then he didn't even think that there should be any penalty for it. That's how little he thought of it. I'm saying this. I mean, you say, well, that's a big sin. I don't have a big sin like that in my life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It's about that you continue on with it and you don't think it's a big deal. You just continue on with it. And therefore, you've not confessed it. You've not repented of it. And therefore, you go on with it. And what happens? Your prayers are unanswered. God is silent when that happens. Number two. God is silent when we close our hearts to the poor. 
Now, I've taken the verse that I'm about to read here, and I've got it on my wall. I'm going to tell you in a minute why I've got it on my wall. But Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. The reason I got it on my wall is this. I do not have the gift of mercy. I want you to know that up front. I mean, if, if they, they said to me, you know, said, uh, so-and-so here is going to die. If you don't cut their leg off, I'd say, give me the chainsaw. I mean, I can do it without a, without a tear in my eye. I can do whatever I need to do as far as that goes. And I have many times come to the poor and tell them, no, I'm not going to help you a bit. But I have that on my wall. But I'll tell you why. There's a couple of reasons for it. And it's for, one's a very selfish reason. If I do not listen to the cry of the poor, then my prayers are not going to be answered. That's an absolute truth that I can go uh, back to. And I, just a few days ago, uh, I had a guy come up to me. wasn't here at the church because the church has a policy and I followed the church's policy. But I, I had a guy come up to me in another place in town and he asked for money. And at that moment, you know, I said, Does, I know that this guy needs it. I don't know. I don't know if he needs it. I don't know if it's, you know, about this guy. But I did know one thing. I needed to give it to him. So I did. Reached to my pocket and gave him some cash. Just tell you what happened. See, I have that proverb on my wall in my office because I want to keep remembering that because I don't have the gift of mercy. But that doesn't mean I get a pass on showing people mercy. In other words, I still have to show people mercy. Doesn't make any difference as far as that goes. And I sure do want my prayers continue to be answered. I will tell you that. So, number three, God is silent when we have an unrepentant sin. Now, this is a little bit different, so it's an unrepentant sin. It says here in Psalm 66, 18, If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This is different from my meaningless worship a minute ago. This is a sin that maybe it's no longer a part of your life. Maybe it's something that you did in the past, and you have never confessed it. You have never confessed it. Maybe you confessed it before the Lord. But sometimes what happens to you, if you've sinned against somebody else, sometimes you have to go to that person and confess it. That's reality. I'm going to tell you a story about that in a minute. For our relationship with the Lord is distanced when we sin. You won't lose your salvation. You understand? You're not going to lose your salvation. You'll still go to heaven. Jesus died for your sins. I know all all of that. But there will be a distance that is there. And confession restores the righteousness or right relationship. It restores it into your life. 1 John 1 9 says, But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that. That's for the believer, by the way. Don't believe that's for the, for the person that doesn't know the Lord. An unconfessed sin is a cherished sin. And if we do not confess it, then we can have our prayers not being answered. I did many jobs when I was going through seminary and actually going through college and such. Sometimes I had as many as three at the same time. And one summer before I went to Southwestern Seminary, I had a job working in an oil field supply business. We, we supplied wire rope for um, Swabbing and work over rigs. You probably don't know what that is, but that's what we did. And so I, I worked in that, in that business. Now, that's kind of a feast and famine type business. I mean, if the, if the rig needs it, you've got to get out there and you've got to work on it. If you don't need it, you're kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen. That's just the way it is. 
And so while I was the only employee of this business, what I did was is that I said, I'm not just going to sit around. I'll, I'll paint the office. So I, got into, I started painting the office. And as I was painting the office and I was going along painting the office, uh, I accidentally knocked the, uh, the plug out of the refrigerator that was in the office. That's where we put our lunches. And it also was where the boss had a bunch of meat that he'd kept in that upper part of that freezer, part of that refrigerator. I plugged it back on in and I continued to paint the office. On Monday morning, on a Friday, I quit doing that. I didn't have to come back to Monday. And there was blood running out of the top of that freezer part. Now, I actually don't know this, to be very honest with you. I don't know that I I knocked it out of there, knocked that plug out again. But that's not my sin. My boss said to me, because I plugged it back in, and you cannot put, you know what happens when you put spoiled meat and you plug it back in? It doesn't do it real good. In fact, is I came in one day and the refrigerator was sitting out in the yard. Anyway, he said, do you know what happened? I said, no. I lied. Let's be honest. I lied. Let me tell you what happened to me. So I thought I could just go on with that. And I could just go on in my life. Nothing's going to happen. I, you know, that's just all there is to it. And every time I would do the Lord's Supper at church, I wasn't a senior pastor or anything like that. But when we'd have the Lord's Supper, the Lord would bring that up to me. Not that I was, he requires sinless people to do the Lord's Supper. But he'd say, you know, Jesus died for your sin. Yes, but you need to confess that. And so what I would do at the Lord's Supper time, I would say, Lord, I promise I'll call and I'll confess it to him. You don't have to confess all your sins to other people, but this one, the Lord required it of me. And so I would say, I'll I'll call him back and I'll tell him. And then I wouldn't do it. And then the Lord's Supper would come around and again. And it would be, you know what you said last time? Yeah, I know what I said last time. And so finally, I said, I can't stand this anymore. I can't stand this and how I've distanced myself from the Lord in this and how how I've I've made myself where I have not confessed. And and so I I contacted his family. I didn't even know he'd already, the man had passed away. And I confessed to his family. And I, you know what I said after this? I don't want to ever be in this place again. I don't ever want to be in a place where I have I have done something and I have not confessed it and that I'm, I'm, I've got a distance between me and God and I'm not hearing his, him from his word. And, and, and so I, I would say to you, if you've got something like that, you can, you can do just like me. You can say, Lord, I'm going to do it in the first thing in the morning and then forget it. And then the next time it comes around, you're going to say, I'll do it again. And then you didn't and you didn't and you didn't and you didn't. That's what I did. But I don't want to ever be there again. Because I need God to answer my prayers. I can promise you, if you, don't, if you think I'm a bad preacher now, you should see me without God being on me. I'm telling you how bad I can be. Number four, God is silent when we remain disobedient. Now, disobedience is not doing what God has told you to do. You mean, God told you to do something. That's not something you committed. That's something that you didn't do. You understand the difference there. This is something you didn't do. God told you to do it. You didn't do it. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 5, it says, When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. See, Saul was frequently afraid. When they're going to anoint him king of Israel, guess what? He's hiding in the baggage. He's scared to go out in front of the people so that he could be anointed. He's afraid of David's success. When David has success, he's afraid of David's success. He's afraid when Samuel doesn't show up to offer the burnt offering. And he offers up the burnt offering himself. He was afraid all the time. And his fears kept him in disobedience. And his disobedience kept him from God. Do you really believe that you can get closer to God while disobeying what he has already told you to do? Think about that for a moment. Do you think you're going to get closer by not doing what he's already told you to do? And why should he answer you when he knows you won't obey anyway? If he gave you a promise, you wouldn't walk with him in it anyway. Number five. God is silent when we have deluded ourselves into thinking we are followers of Christ when we aren't. I'm going back to this one somewhat. You see, when when Jesus was teaching, he's talking about the people that are opposing him. It says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 14, he says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Truthfully, in this case, God is not silent. You just can't hear. You can't hear because you don't have the ears for it. You don't have the ears to be able to hear uh, what God is saying. In Matthew 7, there's the story of the people that think they're going to go to heaven. And they find out they're not going to heaven. And so what do they appeal to? They appeal to what they have done. Didn't we do great things? We didn't, do, didn't we do great things for you, uh, God? Didn't we do those, those wonderful miracles and all of that other stuff? Didn't we do some wonderful things for you? And what does Jesus say to them? I never knew you. And I hear people saying things like this. I know I know the Lord because I was baptized when I was seven. I know I know the Lord because I walked the aisle. I know I know the Lord because I attended church. Well, I can tell you in Lubbock, while I was there at First Baptist Lubbock, one Sunday we had a deacon and a staff member get saved. Think about that for a moment. We had a staff member get saved. Now, how does that happen? Because we all know those churchy words that we can say to prove pe- to uh, make people believe that we're saved. We know those churchy words. We know how to say those churchy words. But in reality, they came forward and said, I know, we know, they didn't come together, but they, I know, I know that I'm not saved. I know that I don't know the Lord. And so I remember a, a well-known evangelist one time saying, that the pastor of the church got saved at one of his uh, revival meetings. And see, I think that the problem that we're having sometimes in churches, they'll say, well, you know, I've heard some lost people will say something along this line. They'll say, I don't want to go to that church. The, the people down there are so mean. Well, they're not mean Christians. They're not Christians at all. What they're doing is, is that they've learned the churchy words too. They've learned to walk down the aisle. They realize that if you go under the water, they'll, they'll still call you a church member. They've realized that. And they, have, they're not, they don't have Jesus in their hearts. Then they appeal to their works in this. And so I will tell you, there's a message that God is speaking to you right now. And that is come to me. If you're hearing that message right now, you need to come to him. 
That's exactly what happened. He said, number six, God appears silent when there is demonic warfare. Daniel gets a word from God, but he doesn't understand it. And so he begins to fast and pray. What is fasting and praying? Fasting and praying is another way that we walk humbly with our God. And guess what happens? God says, I'm going to answer his prayer right right away. But the answer doesn't come for three weeks. Three weeks he doesn't hear anything from God. He's still fasting and praying. And here's what happened. An angel finally, three weeks later, appears before him. And said, and this is what Daniel chapter 10 verse 12 says. Then he said to me, talking about the angel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. God dispatched a messenger right away on day one. Dispatched the messenger. But he said, the prince of the king of Persia withstood me. That's some demon that is there. And it says, 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the archangels, came to help me for I was, I, I was left there with the kings of Persia. So Daniel's been praying for, for, and fasting for 21 days. There's nothing left for him to do. And you might be in that situation. You can say, well, you know what? I don't have any of those other things that you just brought up in my life. And yet I have God's silence in my life. There could be some demonic oppression that is holding that away from you right now. And you know what you have to do? You have to wait. You have to have patience. That is all that you can do. And so, and you know, and you continue to do what is right until you receive that answer. Now, seventh, the last one. God is silent when we aren't ready to hear. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples. And he says in John 16, 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't bear them right now. God may have a promise that he has for you, and you just cannot take it at this moment. I know that when I wanted to be a senior pastor and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, I know I wasn't ready. I prayed for eight years and three months. I know exactly how long I prayed for eight years and three months before God answered me. And you know the reason why? I wasn't ready. And now as I look back, I don't know if I was really that ready when God did give it to me. In other words, I thought I was ready. I thought, you know what, I'll get my education. I'll do all of the things that all the other preachers have done. And then God will call me into where I need to be. And it didn't happen for eight years and three months. The promises of God came to me when I was ready. So we come to this spot about Abraham again. And it says in chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So Abraham received this promise from God and he had to patiently wait 
to receive that promise. And for Abraham, he waited, he waited, and he waited a lot longer than eight years and three months. He waited. And what is necessary in this waiting? What is it necessary for you to be able to wait? That's next week's sermon. <laughs>